third lesson today comes from the book of 2 Samuel. Hear the word of the Lord. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. This is the word of the Lord. Some people just never seem happy about anything, do they? Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what happens to them, no matter how good it is, they just never seem happy about anything. A couple of years ago, I was watching a television show, I forget which channel it was on, but it was about people who had won the lottery and how it had changed their life forever. Well, there was this person on there who had hit the jackpot. They won $160 million. That's a lot of money. They should be happy. They should be very happy. They should be, they have 160 million reasons to be happy. Well, the person that was doing the reporting, the narrator on the show, asked the people, what was your first thought when you realized you had won $160 million? They said, well, my first thought was I'm not even going to get half of that. I'm going to have to give half of it to the government, and then I'm going to have to hire somebody to manage all of it. I bet when I'm finished, I won't even see a third of $160 million. Folks, a third of $160 million is approximately $53 million. I don't know that I could spend that much money in three lifetimes. That's 53 million reasons to still be happy. But for whatever reason, they were not happy. My family all throughout my life, they've always had this saying whenever we encounter somebody that doesn't seem very happy about anything, that that person wouldn't be happy if they won the lottery. This person hit the jackpot. They still weren't happy. I found that person that wouldn't be happy even if they won the lottery. I don't understand it, but I found that person. I've got a friend who works for a company, and I talked to him not too long ago. They provide vehicles for their employees that have to go out and travel a lot. They give them a car. They give them a nice car. 
Well, this particular friend said that his company was going to be getting him a new vehicle, brand new. They had already given him one that was pretty new, and, and he was going to be getting a brand new vehicle. He didn't have to pay insurance. He didn't have to pay tax. He didn't have to do anything with this car but drive it and enjoy it. He told me that he was getting this new car. And then he followed it with this comment that sounded like he was about to spew fire from his mouth. It doesn't even have satellite radio. And so I was thinking to myself, you've got a brand new vehicle that you don't have to pay for. You don't have to do anything but enjoy it. And you're not going to have something, an option equipped on it that you didn't need, that the company didn't need for you to have, that you aren't going to pay for to begin with, and you're not happy? He wouldn't have even been happy if he won the lottery, I don't think. Several weeks ago, Allie and I, she likes to take me to this particular restaurant. It's a local southwestern cantina. I prefer the other local southwestern cantina, but I'll go with Allie because that's what she wants, and, and so we always go to her place. <laughs> and so I found something that I like to eat there. I like their pork burrito. Well, I ordered my pork burrito at this local southwestern cantina. I placed my order. Things were going to be fine. I was settled down. I just resigned myself to the fact that this will be my local burrito restaurant. They told me that they didn't have pork. This set me off because this is not the first time this restaurant has done this. Periodically, they get into a fight with their pig farmers. Their pig farmers don't hold up to their standards, and so it means I don't get pork on my burrito. And so when they told me this, after this is about the fourth experience I've had with them doing this, I threw a tantrum that would have been well worthy of any three-year-old who was hungry. And so I ended up eating my chicken burrito. And the whole time I ate my chicken burrito, for the whole 20 or 30 minutes we were in there, I had a scowl on my face. Allie was embarrassed. And I told her that they need to get their act together with their pig farmers or I was going to go to the other local southwestern cantina. Well, since then, I've gone back to her place a couple of times. And I've started thinking about the way that I behaved that day. And I'm not going to say that I was wrong. I was justified. But perhaps I could have been a little more happy about the fact that I actually had food. I mean, I had a pretty good-tasting chicken burrito, albeit the pork would have been better, but the chicken burrito was pretty good. And just the fact that I could get in my car and drive three to five minutes and get a good meal that's not really that bad for me, and, and, and that should have been enough to make me happy, right? But instead, I ate that chicken burrito with disdain in my heart. And I became increasingly upset about my situation in life as if that chicken burrito had made that situation in life so bad. <laughs> Folks, we live in a society that gives us plenty to be thankful for. Plenty to be thankful for and to be happy about. But I think a lot of us have gotten spoiled. I think a lot of us have gotten spoiled because of all the opportunities that we have around us, all of the stuff that we have around us. We got all sorts of things in our lives that should make us happy. They really should. We are a blessed people, but somewhere along the way, we started looking around at all of this stuff around us, all of the opportunities that have been afforded us, and we started thinking that we should have the best of what's available. It's our right. And if we don't, well, then we're being done a disservice. And if we don't have the best of what's available... It's just not fair, and it just won't do. 
I wonder what God thinks about that. I wonder what happens in God's mind or heart when He gives us stuff, resources, to sustain us, for us to share with other people, to sustain other people. And then we think, hmm, but it doesn't have satellite radio. Or I can't believe they don't have pork. Why do I have to settle with chicken? Or I just won the lottery. Why can't 53 million be enough? I think for far too many of us, far too much of the time, we find ourselves in one of these positions acting exactly the same way, even if we don't want to admit it. Instead of being grateful for what God is providing for us, instead of trying to figure out how we might be able to help somebody else who maybe doesn't have those opportunities, we end up getting frustrated, we get aggravated, we may even get mad and throw a tantrum. Just because we don't get exactly what we want, exactly the way we want it, exactly when we think we have to have it. This passage from Second Samuel this morning, it's a story about David returning from the land of the Philistines with the Ark of the Covenant. He's taking it back into Jerusalem, the land of the Jews, where it belongs. Well, just before this passage, God has given David the ability to go into this land of the Philistines and slay anybody that gets in his way. Remove any obstacle that presents itself that's going to keep David from going into this land that's holding the Ark of the Covenant where it does not belong. God's giving him the resources he needs to do what God needs him to do. This passage tells us that David gathered 30,000 Israelites, 30,000 male Israelites, to carry this Ark out of the land of the Philistines. I usually just gloss over the fact that there were 30,000 people with David. I just think, you know, David and probably like 30 people is what I have in my head. Folks, that's 30,000 people. I want you to think about how many people that actually is. If you go to a University of South Carolina Gamecocks football game at Williams-Brice Stadium, they only average a little over 11,000 people. Don't get mad at me if I'm wrong about that. That's what the Internet said. But it's a little over 11,000 people. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of noise in that stadium. And David brought more than three times that many people with him when he brought that ark out of the land of the Philistines. This ark of the covenant, it was the seat of God. And, And we believe that God is everywhere, but scholars believe that this ark of the covenant is said that it had some sort of special connection with God. It was the place where... Wherever this ark was, there was a special presence of God with that ark. And it was thought that God actually sat upon the ark of the covenant. So David knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what God had called him to do to bring this ark out of a land where it didn't belong and take it back to the place where it did, to those people who thought that God had abandoned them because that ark was no longer with them. God had given David the ability to lead all of these people, to move aside anyone who got in his way. And it brought David to a place where he had the responsibility and the privilege to do something for God and would bring God into the presence of these people who felt like they did not have any hope anymore. He could take God into a land where they didn't believe God was. David had something to dance about, and David knew it. If ever anyone had a reason to be happy, to be excited, to be full of joy, to the point that they could dance with all their might in the presence of their Creator, it was David. And David did that this day. See, David was given a task, and he was given the resources 
to pick up the seat of the living God and to carry it into the presence of people who were spiritually bankrupt. And he did it. He did it with all of his might. So David leaves the land of the Philistines with this ark. And he starts dancing and singing in front of that ark. And 30,000 people joined him in the dance. They sang. They played instruments. They blew horns. As loud as Williams-Brice Stadium gets in the middle of a Clemson-Carolina football game, it couldn't hold a candle to what was coming out of the land of the Philistines that day. These people knew they had the ability to bring hope to people with no hope. They could bring light to people with no light. They could let people know that God had not abandoned them and that God was still with them every day, every moment. And they were going to make sure that they were happy about that, that they were excited about that, and that everybody that came into contact with them as they brought that ark back to the place where God told them it needed to be knew exactly what this God does. This God causes happiness. This God brings about life and hope and joy, no matter the circumstances or the situation. This God is good, and this God is worthy to be praised. But when David came into the city of Jerusalem, Saul's daughter, who also happened to be David's wife, but it leaves that part out, this daughter of Saul, Michael, she looks down upon David with disdain in her heart. She's really upset at David because of the way that he's carrying on, the way he's dancing and singing and, and just being happy. She didn't want it. She didn't think he should be happy. She couldn't figure out what was going on that was causing all of this ruckus? You see, the scriptures go on to tell us that Michael was upset at David because David was carrying on, and it tells us that David was carrying on like, well, without any clothes. David was dancing naked in the streets because of his joy for, for God. Now, I'm not telling any of us to go dancing naked in the streets because I think for a lot of us that would end up being counter, counterproductive uh, for trying to share the good news. So don't do that. Don't do that. But it is also showing us here that, you know, David wasn't concerned with what people thought about what he was doing. God gave him a task. And he was going to do it to the best of his ability. And he didn't care what people thought of him when he did it. He was happy. He was excited. And he needed to let God know that he appreciated that God was using him to be able to carry out this mission that was going to be able to help other people. And to bring God into the presence of other people so that they could recognize that God was actually there. See, what David was doing was embarrassing his wife, and it was probably embarrassing her far more than I embarrassed Allie at this local southwestern cantina. But Michael ends up scolding David for what he did. But then David goes on to tell Michael he was dancing for his God. It didn't really matter what she thought, it didn't matter what she said. God gave him something to do, and he was happy about it. And before everything was all done, he was probably going to do a few more things that were going to embarrass her far more than that if God wanted him to go dancing again. How many of us find ourselves living life as Michael? How many of us are so focused on what others may end up perceiving us to be like to, when we do things for God that we just decide that we're just not going to do things for God? Or if we do, we're going to do them so quietly that maybe nobody else will notice. Because we don't want anybody to be seeing us in a light that we don't think is appropriate. How many of us would have done like what David did? 
How many of us would actually be willing to go out in the streets and, and dance naked in front of all of our friends and relatives if perhaps God called us to do that? I don't know that I would. You see, a lot of times our, our ego, what we believe other people are going to think of us, that gets in the way of doing what God's called us to do. It gets in the way of being free to worship in a way that we feel like we probably need to. It gets in the way of us singing and, and dancing and being joyful. When I was growing up, there was, uh, there was this lady in my church, and she had been there forever. She may have been there longer than, well, anything else at that church. And I remember one day there was this kid who started dancing. He got out in the aisle and just started dancing when the, the songs were going. And afterwards, she came up to my dad, who was the preacher, and she said, I can't believe you let that kid dance in the aisle. We have to be serious when we're in church. And I was thinking, why? That kid was happy. That kid got it. That kid understood that there's a reason to dance. That kid had something to dance about. Each of us do too. How many of us want to be able to go through life like David? Recognizing that God has given us the ability to do a task. Even if it seems small. Even if it seems too large for us to actually carry out. But God has given us the ability to carry out whatever the task may be. How many of us actually go through life like David? Recognizing that God has called us to make a difference in this world. Even if it's just for one person. Making a difference in that person's world. How many of us are able to go out into the world and to dance and to sing with everything we have and with all that we are, so much so that we would have 30,000 people want to join in that dance with us? See, that's what God's calling all of us to do. He isn't calling us to stand around from some balcony window looking down on the people who are living their life that way. He's calling us to be down there in the streets making noise making noise with a smile on our face, causing people to look, actually getting people to look at us so that when they do look at us, we can point them to the God that caused us to be that happy. See, they see that that God that we serve is worth dancing for. They see that that God that we serve is a good thing. They see that God can give us enough joy in our hearts to want 30, cause 30,000 people to want to join in that dance with us. When was the last time you sang when was the last time you danced? When was the last time you got that excited about God that you wanted to? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had that moment when you were just so overcome with excitement and joy from what God has done in your life or what God is, is currently doing in your life that it made you want to do that? Folks, our church needs a little more dancing. Our church needs a little more singing. We need to do that a little harder. We need to do that a little louder. We do that well here. We dance well. We sing well. We do it in these walls. We do it outside of these walls. We do it a lot of places. But whenever I go to these places where the singing or the dancing occurs, I keep seeing the same people. But I'm seeing a lot of people who aren't. And I look out into these pews, these seats, 
And I know there are a lot more faithful people in these pews and these seats than what I see out there dancing and singing. Maybe we've forgotten. Maybe we've forgotten that we've got a God worth dancing about. Maybe we've forgotten that we have something worth dancing about. See, so much of our life can turn into just going through the motions. We can get in a rut. We get stuck. We get frustrated when things may not go our way, when things don't end up going our way exactly the way that we want. We get stuck in this rut of doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. We go through the motions. And we can start to think that this life that God's given to us, this eternal life that we actually have right now, we start to forget that that's a pretty amazing thing. It's time for each one of us to start dancing just a little more. For us to start singing just a little louder. Every one of us. If you're already doing that, keep doing it. We need to look at you as a model. We need to look at you and learn how to do that. And we will. For those of us who think that maybe singing or dancing isn't for us, maybe God's not calling us to have other people look at us so that we can point them to Him, think again. God's calling every one of us to do that. Some of us just don't like to be looked at. We're afraid that we'll get a step wrong here. We'll sing out of key there. Folks, if you're singing with a smile on your face, if you're dancing with joy in your heart, it doesn't matter if you slip up here or there. Just keep going with the music. Keep going with that joy in your heart. People will see it. You'll get it. You'll get there. But find something you can do. Find some way you can participate in making some noise for God. Being too old is no excuse. Being too young is no excuse. Being too busy or too tired or even too lazy is no excuse. Hoping that somebody sitting next to you is going to take care of it, that's no excuse either. Folks, God is on the move. God is moving to places where people need hope. He's moving to places where people need love. He's even moving to places where people need joy. And he's calling us to let them know. He's calling us to let them know that he is among them. Even when it may not look like it. So go sing. Go dance. Go make whatever noise you have to make. But you make sure that everybody who needs to see God is looking at you. And then you point them to the one that can bring some joy to their life. Amen.